Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. We're in 1 Kings chapter 21 in the Old Testament. We're continuing in our study of the life of a prophet of God during a dark season in Israel's history. That man's name is Elijah. And today's question is, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? How many of you, it feels like the bad guys are winning? It's because the bad guys are winning. We'll deal with that in a moment. So let me set up the storyline of Elijah. It's about 3000 years ago in the nation of Israel and God set up a government that was supposed to represent him and bring truth and justice to the people. Ruling and reigning was a king named Ahab and his demonic queen named Jezebel, his wife. And they ruled and reigned together. We're gonna learn a lot about them today. But what they sought to do was to impose an anti-God, we could say an anti-Christ agenda across all of the culture. And what they did is they overtook government, they overtook education and closed the believing schools. They also overtook business and the economy. They overtook entertainment and also the church and religion. They were seeking to impose a counterfeit demonic agenda across every area of culture. And they did so quite successfully. And the reason why they were so successful is it's not just people, but it was demons working through those people who gave them incredible power. And the thesis that we're looking at is though we live in new days, we're dealing with old demons. That there is still this massive, invisible, demonic cultural force trying to overtake government, education, business, entertainment, and even religion in the church to position Satan to be ruling and reigning where God should be respected. It works through the Jezebel spirit and the Ahab spirit. Again, it's not just people, but people empowered by demons. Jezebel works through two particular tactics. One is sensuality or sexuality, the other is spirituality. When you see the combination of the sexual and the spiritual, you know that Jezebel is at work. In the ancient world, all of the artwork that has been excavated regarding this ancient queen was incredibly pornographic. And it may be actually the first time that a nation devoted to God actually had massive widespread distributed pornography from the government. It was sexuality and sensuality. The worship of their demon gods, Baal and Asherah, included lots of sexual sin of every sort and kind, any sort of normative gender categories were absolutely erased and eradicated. There was no longer chastity before marriage or fidelity in marriage. You would go to worship these demon gods at high places that had phallic symbols. And if you had a child, you would then murder the child to the demon god Baal. It was the beginning of state-sponsored and funded abortion. Again, new days, old demons. In addition, uh, the Jezebel spirit, as we established early on as a transgender spirit, erases any sort of gender categories of binary male and female. In 2 Kings 9, when they come to arrest Jezebel and put her to death, it says that she was surrounded by her eunuchs. She would castrate men and make them non-male in an effort to rule over men and to ruin any sort of legacy God might have for them. In addition to being sexual, the Jezebel spirit is very spiritual very spiritual. 
will use or abuse any religion, spirituality, or idolatry that is beneficial. They will take religious symbolism, they will join a church, they'll get themselves in leadership, they will adopt pagan practices, they will combine things that are for and against God. That's exactly what the Jezebel spirit does. And the Jezebel spirit has this agenda to take beliefs and behaviors that were forbidden, make them tolerated and then celebrated. That's the, that's the process. Take beliefs and behaviors that were forbidden, make them tolerated. Jesus rebukes a church in Revelation 2, telling them that they tolerate that woman Jezebel. Once you tolerate what God forbids, eventually you'll be celebrating what God condemns. And so that's exactly what the Jezebel spirit seeks to do. Beliefs and behaviors that are forbidden by God become tolerated so then they could be widely celebrated. And then these beliefs and behaviors are imposed on the culture and others are encouraged to walk away from God and to walk hand in hand with demons. Now, allowing or permitting all of this in Israel was the king, his name was Ahab. And we've established that he is passive and tolerant. If the Jezebel spirit is sexual and spiritual, the Ahab spirit is passive and tolerant. He doesn't confront her. Instead, he tolerates her, he permits her, he allows her to say and do whatever she wants. We've established these are spirits so they can work in and through men or women. But in this instance, the Jezebel spirit is working through the queen, the Ahab spirit is working through the king. What's interesting is Ahab tolerates everyone but Elijah. You know you're dealing with Elijah when he tolerates evil, but not good. When he tolerates lies, but not truth when he tolerates every spirit except for the Holy Spirit. And today what happens is these same spirits are working together. And then the third character you'll meet in the story is Elijah. He's the man of God, the prophet of God, brings the word of God. He keeps speaking against Jezebel and Ahab, having the conflict openly and publicly. Against him are false prophets. These are religious leaders who are paid to speak against the Bible, sometimes even by quoting the Bible, and we have this same thing today. We call this the red letter Christians, the progressive Christians. These are the people who would say that they speak for God and they belong to God. They speak against God and they do not belong to God. Everything that happened in their day is happening in our day. And so my thesis is new days, old demons. When you see the same beliefs and behaviors working in different times through different people, you need to consider that it may be a spirit that's at work in every age and different people. And as we're looking at Elijah, my thesis is I wanna look at the story and then I wanna look through the story to our own day. I wanna see if there is a connection between the context of our ministry and also the text of God's word. And our thesis is this, the Bible is not old, it's eternal. That means it's always timely. That being said, let me just give you one example because what we're dealing with in this section today of Elijah is justice. Who gets to determine what is just or unjust? Who gets to determine what is right and wrong? What is good and evil? What should be forbidden and what should be um, forsaken? And so let me just do the, just get myself in a little bit of trouble here. Um, um, so every once in a while, there are these head-on collisions in our culture that explode. And then there's a massive cultural debate. Is this justice or injustice? And there's two sides, just as there was in the days of Elijah. 
So this week, it exploded regarding Target. Okay, okay you heard about this. So what happened with Target is next month is Pride Month, which is, I'm like, I wish we had Humility Month. I feel like we could get more out of that. But anyways, next month is Pride Month. And Pride Month is where the Jezebel spirit takes over the culture and imposes an anti-God sexual and spiritual agenda on everyone and everything in the culture. Now, Target got in trouble uh, beginning back in 2012 when they um, started allowing and celebrating Pride Month with Pride items. Uh, Non-binary, sexual, sensual, oftentimes spiritual merchandise. In 2016, it was Target that said, if you're a customer, you can use whatever restroom or changing room that identifies with your particular view of your gender. In 2022, they got in trouble for selling uh, chest binders for girls and packaging underwear as well for girls. And if you don't know what this is, I'll be careful how I say it in church. But if you have gender dysphoria and you don't believe that your body represents your gender, then if you're a girl, you will strap down the anatomy that God gave you to appear masculine. And if you're a girl, you'll buy Target underwear that has fake male genitalia in it so you could appear to be male. Then what happened as well this year, they got into more trouble as they were getting ready to release a tuck friendly swimsuits for men who identify as women and want to wear a women's swimsuit, but don't have the women's anatomical provision. I'm trying to figure out the right word for this. Um, Probably should have thought this through before I got up. Um, And so you get extra um, fabric in that part of your swimsuit to cover the part of you that is obviously not female. And, And then what really caused an explosion was Target hiring uh, a designer from Europe, from London in particular, a transgender designer to create products for Pride Month that would be sold through Target. Um, Abprelum is the UK company and um, the founder and chief designer was born a woman but transitioned to a male, had surgery to remove their chest and has been living on hormones as a quote, gay trans man. This led to a lot of confusion and conversation. To address the controversy, this person went on social media and they posted, this is what they posted. That is a woman wearing one of the shirts that they sell. And again, they were contracted by Target so that they could build their brand and increase their influence. And the shirt of course says, Satan respects pronouns. So what has happened now is those on the progressive left are saying, Christians are wrongly attacking this person saying that what they're doing is demonic. The reason we're saying that is because what they're doing is demonic. And and 
so they'll, they'll try and sort of argue saying, well, this person doesn't believe in Satan, so they really can't be a Satanist. Well, they told us on their social media account that they do believe in Satan. And there are two kinds of Satanism. One is founded and led by Antoine LaVey. It's just hedonism. It's do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. It's just pleasure and indulgence and carnality. And they don't believe in God or Satan. That would be the kind of Satanism that this individual supports. In addition, Aleister Crawley has another kind of Satanism that is demonic and occultic, and they do believe in Satan and demons, and they invoke them through witchcraft. And so what you're dealing with is an Anton LaVey Satanist creating merchandise for Target, including merchandise for children. And so um, what's interesting is this person then went on social media, and I'll just read what they said on their company website. Um, goes on to say, uh, Satan loves you and respects who you are. You're important and valuable in this world and you deserve to treat yourself with love and respect. LGBT plus people are so often referred to as being a product of Satan or going against God's will. Goes on to say, Satan is hope, compassion, equality, and love. And then speaks of uh, this mythical demonic occultic being um, named Baphomet. When they posted their photo, you saw the horns. It's their tribute to a demon named Baphomet. Goes on to say, I think Baphomet, a mystical deity adopted by Satanists looks very charming in their uh, pastel colors, Baphomet, themselves is a mixture of genders, beings, ideas, and existences. They hardly fit into any binary stereotype. God made us and God said that there are animals and people and they are different. And God said that there are angels and demons and they are different. And God made us male and female equal, but different. What this Baphomet demonic idol is saying is, it's a morphing of animals and human beings, God, Satan, angels, demons, and it is non-binary men and women. It's eradicating all of the categories that are God-given. And, and what's curious then is you can go right now on the website. I'm not gonna tell you the website because I'm not advertising it, but you can just buy the shirts from the designer. Here are the shirts that are for sale. On the left, gay as hell. Uh, the next one, my guardian angel is trans. Uh, next slide. Um, that says uh, homophobic headrest and it's a guillotine. Imagine if Christians had our own version and we just took off the phobic. In addition, uh, the next one is join my gay cult. Uh, and then uh, I believe there are two more. Uh, gay witches protect me and Satan respects pronouns. So what happened is, I know this will shock you, the Christian parents stopped shopping at Target. Okay, they just did, okay, okay. Um, so this led to a dumping of Target stock and also a decline in people shopping at Target, okay? Now, what's interesting, what's interesting is, then some are arguing that what Target was doing was justice. 
bringing in forbidden beliefs and behaviors to be tolerated and celebrated for a whole month of pride. And if anyone would be against that, you are doing injustice. They are good, you are evil. What you are doing is social injustice against those who are doing social justice. Newsweek uh, had an article on uh, the fact that some people are boycotting and or dumping their stock. And they said, if you are doing that, you are guilty of quote, economic terrorism. So now you're, unless you pay for this, you're a terrorist. Other articles are calling those who refuse to shop at Target fascists. And it raises a question, who's good? Who's bad? What's the justice? What's the injustice? That's my introduction. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 21. <laughs> And what we're gonna do, we're gonna look at the issue of the good guys and the bad guys and the justice and the injustice. And we're gonna look at it in a case study. And in 1 Kings 21, there's Ahab and Jezebel, and there's a guy named Naboth and Elijah. They have a conflict over what is good and bad, right and wrong, justice and injustice. It's a case study in injustice. And you'll see in this storyline, it's the evil people who hate God, who attack and harm the godly man. And that is injustice. You will never hear that storyline in our culture. You will never hear of those who don't love God doing harm to those who do because it doesn't fit the narrative. But God tells the story this way. First thing we're gonna look at is coveting fuels injustice. We're gonna talk about good guys and bad guys, justice and injustice. First Kings 21, now Naboth, he enters the scene. The Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard, I want your land, that I might have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. If it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed in soul. He's throwing a fit like a baby. Ahab is a whiny, entitled, passive government official who steals land and throws a fit. because of what Naboth, the Jezreelite had said to him, for he said, I will not give you uh, the inheritance of my fathers. He lay down his bed. He turned away his face and would eat no food. He's literally throwing a fit. He's like a petulant child. So here the question is, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Well, let me just tell you this. Nobody's righteous. We're all sinners by nature and choice. Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous, no, not one but some people are better than others insofar as their moral conduct. They're not righteous in relationship to God, but they're good compared to others. Jesus has a story, for example, where he tells the story of a guy who was a good Samaritan, okay? So as we look at the story, the question is, well, is Ahab the good guy or is um, Naboth the good guy? And the debate really here is this, who gets to decide what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, what's just and unjust? These two men disagree. Now, 
what we know about Ahab, does he need the land? He's the king of Israel. His family has held the kingdom for five generations. He's got more land than he knows what to do with. He doesn't need, but he has greed. He's sitting up in his palace. He looks over, there's a little piece of land near his palace. He's like, you know what? I don't own that. I wish I owned that. I would plant a vegetable garden there. So he approaches Naboth who owns it. And what we see here is you're going to get yourself into much injustice if you're a person who feeds coveting over contentment. This is where injustice begins. Injustice out there starts with coveting in here. He doesn't need anything, but what he has is this just lust for more. If you're a person that never has enough money, never has enough square footage, never has enough land, never has enough you know, sex, never has enough compliments, never has enough power, you're going to become an unjust, unjust person. Because ultimately at the end of the day, he is not content. The, the only thing that casts out covetousness is contentment. God, I, and here's what coveting is. God gave something to them, he didn't give it to you. You want it, so you're trying to figure out how to take it from them. If God didn't give it to you, you're not supposed to have it. And if God gave it to them, you're not supposed to take it. And that's the heart of what's happening here. And what happens with Ahab's, they feel entitled, um, they covet, and ultimately they manipulate through emotion. He is a guy who literally goes home, he's the king. I mean, you can just see him laying in his bunk bed with his crown on face up against the wall, not eating. He's in the fetal position. Ah, he's just literally throwing a fit, okay? He's emotionally manipulating. Some people are like that. Just because they're crying doesn't mean they're a victim. Just because they're telling you that something bad was done to them doesn't mean it was. Just because they're shouting that they should have something and that they're entitled to something means that it's a fact in the sight of God. In addition, we see Naboth. And what Naboth is doing here, he's a good man. Now, he's not a righteous man, meaning he's sinless and perfect, but he's a, he's a decent citizen and an honorable man. And what he says is, I can't sell you the land because that would be against the will and the word of God. I've got it in the notes. I always show my homework. Uh, it's in the study guide. You can get for free at realfaith.com in the store. But but the, the scriptures say he can't sell the land, it belonged to his family. So he inherited it and then he had a legal right to pass it on to his kids and his grandkids. If he sells it, he's sinning against God and his family. What he is being asked to do would be a sin against God. And what he's saying is, I can't do that. I won't sin against God. Let me say this, uh, let me explain it this way. I was trying to figure out how to explain all this to you. There's a massive difference between social justice and sovereign justice. Explain this. Everything God creates, sovereign justice, Satan counterfeits social justice. Social justice is what sinners decide is good, bad, right, wrong, just, and unjust. Sovereign justice is what God decides is good or bad, right or wrong, justice or injustice. 
The question is, when two people disagree on what would be the right thing to do, who has the authority to make the decision? Is it the government? That's what Ahab is going to decide. Is it the mob? That's what they decide in the days of Jesus to murder our Lord. Or is it God? Is it God who determines what is right and wrong, good and bad, just and unjust? Part of the problem that we have today is people are seeking justice who aren't seeking God. You don't understand justice until you have the mind of God because God is above us, judges us by his unchanging word, tells us what is right and wrong, good and bad, just and unjust. When we don't seek God and we seek to replace God, we are doing the demonic as they did. We're trying to rule and reign in a place that solely belongs to God. The result is this, in our world, lots of things that are declared to be just are actually unjust. Lots of things that are said to be right are actually wrong. Lots of things that are said to be good are actually bad. There's a massive difference between sovereign justice as God sees it and social justice as sinners see it. And part of the problem that we have in our day, uh, a survey just came out, it just came out this past week, the general social survey for the first time in the history of our country, the majority of Americans are not sure there's a God. How in the world do you know right and wrong if you don't know God? If there's nothing beyond you, then there's no authority to appeal to, to judge you or them. Back to the story, what we have is a conflict. Ahab says, I want the land. Naboth says, no. How do we resolve this difference of opinion? This disagreement regarding what would be right and just action. The next section we learn soul ties further injustice. <clears throat> but Jezebel, she's gonna get involved. You'll notice this. Jezebel always shows up to give entitled people what they want and to give them a counterfeit of justice. But Jezebel, his wife came and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? She's rubbing his back, right? She's got beer in his sippy cup. She's, he's just, this is like, a, so what happens is when you get a controlling domineering woman and a passive weak man, it looks more like a mother and son than it does a husband and wife. Okay, now some of you don't like that, it's your family. Why is your spirit so vexed that we eat no food? He said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. He's like, I'm really sad. Because Naboth said no. He said no. I mean, he, he, he just sounds like a 20-something socialist. Like, like... <laughs> Can I get free land? No, oh, I throw a fit, vote for Jezebel. And Jezebel's wife said to him, do you now govern Israel? You're the king. She's gonna flatter him. Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard 
of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she's got a plan. She wrote letters in Ahab's name, that's lying. She is falsifying government documents and sealed it with a seal, that's a crime. Um, won't tell you what I'm thinking, but I wonder if Russia was involved. I mean, this is amazing right here, you know. Um, just, just something I thought about. So, and she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived uh, with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, government letters, proclaim a fast, holy, righteous. We're gonna worship the Lord, very spiritual, demonic, and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two, what kind of men? Worthless men. Some, ladies, I need your support here. Are some men worthless? Yes, yeah. Some men are worthless. They're worth nothing. They add nothing. They contribute nothing. They're worthless. No, everybody's special. No, some are worthless. Okay? Like if, if you're a 40 year old guy living with your mom, commenting on Twitter right now that you've been triggered, you're worthless, okay? Just something to pray about. She set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him. False charges saying, you have cursed God and the king. Did he do that? He didn't do anything. He's completely innocent. Then take him out and stone him to death. They're gonna murder him, execute him publicly. This, this man's gonna die. His wife is gonna be a widow. His kids are gonna be orphans. They're gonna seize his land, destroy his reputation and bankrupt his family. And he did nothing. He did nothing. They're gonna do it in the name of justice. And sometimes evil is done in the name of justice. And the men of the city, the elders, those would be the religious leaders. And the leaders who lived in the city did as Jezebel had sent word to them as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast. They did exactly what they were told and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men, some of you are like, oh, God said it again, just so you'd agree with it. Two worthless men came in and sat opposite him and the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. Total lie. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezreel saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give to you for money, for Naboth is not alive, he's dead. What's interesting, Ahab doesn't ask what happened to him. He doesn't care. Well, howdy, Pastor Mark here. I hope you're enjoying this sermon. And uh, if you have prayed for or partnered with us, thank you, you're helping us reach 200 million people through Real Faith Ministries 
this year alone. My wife, Grace, and I, uh, we love getting Bible teaching out, and we have got a veritable mountain of free content that's all available at realfaith.com. If you're married, we got a podcast. If you've got kids, we've got parenting resources. If you're a guy trying to get better and level up, we're here to help with real men. And for those of you who pray or give or help us in any way, we just want to say thanks. It means the world. We are entirely supported uh, by our partners who give generously. And if you would like to give a gift of any amount, uh, we stretch every dollar. Uh, I'm told for every dollar you give, we're able to reach 100 people with some sort of gospel-based, Jesus-centered Bible teaching. For a gift of any amount at realfaith.com, we'll send you uh, an ebook that I'm super proud of. It's my systematic theology with Gary Bashirs. It's called Doctrine, subtitle, It's All About Jesus. Some years ago, I published uh, the Doctrine book, but I rewrote it. It's about 50 to 60% new. The Doctrine is the same, it's deeper, it goes more into the Holy Spirit and the demonic. And I'd love to get this massive resource into your hands. So thanks in advance for your prayer and partnership. As soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, uh, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Let me talk about the Jezebel spirit, the Ahab spirit. The Jezebel spirit is at work here. Number one, the Jezebel spirit is a controlling spirit. If you tolerate, they will dominate. With the Jezebel spirit, they have to win. And what happens if they lose? They declare a new war. In the days on Mount Carmel, where the, prof, the false prophets of Baal were defeated and God called down fire from heaven and Elijah slit the throat of all of the false prophets of Baal, Ahab went home, told uh, Jezebel, our God, our demon lost. And what did she do? Oh no, we didn't. I'm putting a, a bounty on the head of Elijah and a curse on him. And within 24 hours, he'll be dead. The Jezebel spirit is so controlling that it refuses to lose. And even if it loses one war, it declares a new war. That's exactly what happens here. Ahab comes home. Honey, we didn't get the land. Oh yes, we will. Number two, the Jezebel spirit hates being told no. If you tell a person that has the Jezebel spirit no, that will be a declaration of war. No one tells them what to do. In addition, Number three, the Jezebel spirit despises any authority, especially male authority. Jezebel throughout the storyline, she never attacks a woman, but she always attacks the men. And she especially attacks the man of God. She has a constant war with Elijah. In addition, her hatred of authority makes the Jezebel spirit, especially in women, fiercely independent. Hear me in this, women. There is, and I do believe in men and women, so I'm speaking to the women. Um, to the women, there's nothing wrong with being strong. In fact, you should be. You should be an Elijah. Strong, courageous, bold, overt, forthright. There's a big difference between being strong and being independent. I married a wife who's strong, okay? I, I, I have daughters that are strong. The world needs strong women filled with the Spirit of God. But if you're married and independent, that's a sin. 
And so the problem with Jezebel is she's independent and hates authority. Here, her husband has no idea what she's doing. She doesn't even tell him, let alone ask permission. She's fiercely independent and hates his authority. Number four, the Jezebel spirit does not care about the truth or the law. Is what Jezebel is doing here, is it truth or lies? It's all lies. And she is weaponizing the law to murder an innocent man. If you're dealing with someone with a Jezebel spirit, they have no conscience. They will say things like, I can't, I, you, I can't believe you said that, but that has no basis in, they don't care. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe that you, you even thought that. They're like, I will use whatever gives me victory. I don't care about the truth and I don't care about the law. I care about one thing, the control. Number five, Jezebel-spirited people will give gifts with strings attached so that they can manipulate you and you owe them. They don't do grace-based giving. They don't give you something with no strings attached because they love you. There are always strings attached. They're the marionette, you're the puppet. If you have a family member that is Jezebelian, they will give you money to decide where you live, what you do with your kids, how you educate your kids, what you, what you do with your church attendance, what you do with your holidays, what you do with your vacations, what you do with your marriage and family. Like I gave you money, now I have a right to tell you how to live your life. The only reason that Jezebel does this for Ahab is if he gets something from her, then she knows that he owes her something in return. In addition, number six, we see here that the Jezebel spirit is very religious. She gets together the elders. Sometimes in a church, the elders are working for Jezebel. Jezebel is a very religious spirit. In Revelation two, the elders in that church have tolerated her. And she's a false prophetess, teaching and seducing people. And Jesus shows up to rebuke those who are tolerating her. She makes this all look very official. Went to the church, went to the denomination, went to the board, went to the pastors, filed a complaint, brought in the witnesses, did everything religiously. And number seven, the Jezebel spirit will weaponize the word of God if allowed to. The Bible said you need to have two or three witnesses to convict somebody. So she's like, I can do that. I'll go get two worthless men to meet the letter, but not the spirit of God's law. And I will pay them to give false testimony. The Jezebel spirit will quote scripture. The Jezebel spirit will meet with the board. The Jezebel spirit will appeal to ecclesiastical authority and the Jezebel spirit will obey the word of God to do evil and harm. When she gets two witnesses, she's seeking to obey the Bible. In addition, um, the charge against Naboth is what? He cursed God. So here's Jezebel. Jezebel's like, can you believe that he doesn't honor the Lord? <laughs> hey, elders, we need to do something about this. Ungod we have this ungodly man. Be very careful. The Jezebel spirit is always about repenting of your sin, not their sin. Holding you accountable, not being held accountable. 
The Ahab spirit here, the Ahab spirit causes men to be passive at home and at church, oftentimes not at work. So Ahab, he's ruling and reigning in Israel. He's actually known as a military strategist who's successful in his military strategy. So he wins at work, but he loses at home and he loses at church. In fact, just an observation. You know, you have a Jezebel and an Ahab when she picks the church. Honey, I picked a good church. Well, they'll put me in charge and tell you what to do. See, Jezebel picks the church for the whole nation of Israel. Ahab is not leading his family. He is following his wife who is leading the family and the nation astray. He's passive at home. He's passive at church. Number one, the Ahab spirit will avoid conflict, disagreement, and hard work. They're not going to do hard things because they're soft people. Let me say this, soft men are a problem. Soft men are a problem because soft men allow evil to rule and reign. Number two, the Ahab spirit is very insecure. They struggle with what Proverbs 29, 25 calls fear of man. They don't want a conflict. They don't, they don't, they don't like to be confronted. They don't, they don't want anybody to think ill of them. They're people pleasers. Because of that, the Jezebel spirit manipulates them through flattery. If you're insecure, they will flatter you so they can control you. Oh, honey, why are you so sad? You're a good king. You're a great man. I, just here, just, just have a little bite to eat. Mama will go take care of it. She flatters him. Number three, the Ahab spirit is not generous. Zero times in the storyline of Ahab does he give anything. All he does is take. He's the king of Israel. He doesn't tithe to God, doesn't help others. He just takes. Those who are Ahabs and Jezebels walk into a church. They don't give anything, but they wanna control how everything is spent. They wanna know all the details and all the facts, and they conveniently overlook the fact that they don't give generously. That's Ahab. He wants land from Naboth. He's only a taker, he's never a giver. In addition, number four, the Ahab spirit feels entitled. I will say this, currently the Ahab spirit is raising the next generation. Well, I should have a house and internet and healthcare and food and you know, I, I need stuff. It's like, well, that's why they made jobs. America is now fighting over a debt ceiling limit, which is insane. We owe $100,000 for every American in debt, national debt. We owe $250,000 for every taxpayer. And right now we're saying is, hey, uh, can you up our credit card limit? That's a whole generation that feels entitled and it is just take and take and take and no give. Number five, the Ahab spirit has empathy and compassion only for self. Throughout the story of Ahab, the only time he feels sorrow is for himself. When he hears that Naboth is murdered, is killed or died, he doesn't know how, he doesn't ask, oh my gosh, what happened? Like, I don't care. There are people that their compassion 
does not go beyond themselves. The Ahab spirit uh, causes adults to act like children. Ahab is a man-sized baby. And if you are an irresponsible Ahab adult, a Jezebel will find you and they will control you. And that's their marriage. And what's interesting is, well, you gotta ask the question, why does Ahab tolerate Jezebel? Let me say this. People who are like Ahab tolerate people who are like Jezebel. Why? It benefits them. Jezebel does all the dirty work. She's dirty in the bedroom and she's dirty out of the bedroom. That's Jezebel. Oh, you want the land? Well, I'll falsify government documents. I'll steal your seal. I will get worthless men to be false witnesses. I'll get the church board involved. I'll get the government involved. I'll drum up false charges. I'll murder him and you can have the land. Ahab's great. You do all my dirty work. The reason that some of you tolerate evil people in your life is in some regard, they benefit you. They make you money at work. You're like, well, they're an evil person, but they're a very profitable employee. They're a very evil relative, but they have, you know, done some things that really helped us. If you tolerate, they will dominate. The reason why people tolerate Jezebels is because they're Ahabs who benefit from the evil of the Jezebel. Psychologically, we would call these kinds of relationships codependent. The American Psychological Association calls it, quote, the state of being mutually reliant and a dysfunctional relationship pattern in which an individual is psychologically dependent on or controlled by a person with a pathological condition. That's their relationship. Jezebel is demonic, she's pathological. She murders without conscience. She lies without consideration. And Ahab is dependent upon her. They are codependent. We all start more like Jezebel or Ahab, more controlling or passive. And you gotta ask yourself, is there anywhere in my life or anyone in my life where I have tolerated someone who is evil because it benefits me or I'm afraid of them? Spiritually, we would call this marriage a soul tie. And one Christian commentator says it's, quote, a bond between two individuals, the souls, mind, will, and emotions of individuals knit or joined together a bond, a joining together of souls for good or evil. One person manipulates and controls the other. That's what's happening. Goes on to say soul ties will cause one person to follow another. In this instance, it's the husband following the wife. A, a person to fulfill the desires of the other. That is the wife murdering to get the land for the husband. And then also a person to react in anger when the person to whom they are soul tied is attacked. Ahab being told no, felt like he was attacked. What we're seeing here is a pattern that exists in every generation. And wow, let me just, I've said it before, but let me just point out something. Have you ever noticed that these kinds of people meet each other? 
They always find each other, especially in church. It is so amazing that Ahab and Jezebel met each other because we looked earlier in the series, she was born in a different kingdom, the Sidonian kingdom. They're not even from the same country, Ahab and Jezebel. They're not even from the same culture. They weren't even raised in the same religion. How did they get together? A friend of mine, he's a pastor. He said, uh, demons know each other. And if they're working through people, the demons who are friends introduce the people to become friends. And in the days of technology and the internet, evil people find each other and they form soul ties. And they bond together to do evil and to oppose good. We call this cancel culture. We call this progressivism. We call this the woke mob. That's exactly what it is. It's like, well, how is it so powerful? It's demonic. Well, how is it so organized? It's demonic. How is it so quickly overtaking every area of culture? It's demonic. Well, why does no one see it? Because they call it justice. And that's the deception. The murder of Naboth in their day was considered justice. The headline was, today in Israel, justice was served. Naboth cursed God and the king. And the religious leaders and the political leaders, they did a full examination. They even had eyewitnesses enter into court, put their hand on the Bible, and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And the good news is today, a bad man was put in the ground. Justice has been served. Complete injustice. Complete injustice. Okay. It's quiet. Am I making any sense? Okay. How many in our world today, you're looking at it, you're going, what they call justice seems like injustice. What they call good seems bad. What they call right seems wrong. What they call you know, desirable seems to be offensive to God. So social justice is sinners manipulating the system to benefit themselves. Sovereign justice is God showing up and saying, I'll tell you the truth, here's the facts. What we see next, it's a long section, I'll read it quick, I'm running out of voice and time, but sovereign justice fights social justice. First Kings 21, beginning in 17. Then the word of the Lord came. The big idea is this, until the word of God is proclaimed, nobody knows what's right and wrong, true and false. Nobody knows, nobody knows what the facts are until the word of God comes. Because God is apart from the situation, his word speaks authority over the situation. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Here comes the prophet, the Bible teacher saying, arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who's in Samaria. God knows exactly where he is and exactly what he's done. Behold, he is in his vineyard of Naboth. God's looking down like, what the heck is he doing in Naboth's vineyard? Elijah, go, go deal with him. Where he has gone to take possession and you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, this is authoritative, have you killed and also taken possession? Did you murder Naboth and steal his land? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. This is dark, amen? 
this is not safe for the whole family. Some of you grew up in like Baptist Sunday school. You're like, I didn't get the blood licking dog flannel graph. I missed that veggie tail. My granny never read this to me at bedtime. I didn't know this. Okay, the point is this, some people are worthless and other people are not worth honoring. When a king or a queen dies, there's usually a celebration. When this king and queen dies, no celebration. Wild dogs lick up the blood where he shed the blood of Naboth. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. We reap what we sow. Where you shed Naboth's blood, your blood will be shed. You will not get an honorable burial. Wild dogs are gonna lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, oh my enemy? Previously, he called him the troubler. Here he says, you're my enemy. Ahab's always a victim. Always a victim. Naboth wouldn't give me the land, I'm a victim. Elijah, you're, you're yelling at me. I feel triggered. I thought your God was loving. How come you never hug me? I don't, I don't. You're just mean. I feel very hurt and offended. Every time you come, I just feel unsafe. It's not a safe place for me. It's not safe. And I talked to Jezebel and she agrees. Like we're totally, you know. Ahab is always a victim. You, you, you murdered a demonic whore and she, excuse me, you married a demonic whore and she murdered your neighbor. And Elijah shows up and he's like, yeah, you're the problem. How many of you know this person? Everything around them is evil. And you're like, hey, have you thought that maybe this involves you? <gasps> bunk bed. Somebody needs to rub my back. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, Satan is the deceiver and some people are so demonic that they're completely self-deceived. You're my enemy. He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. Can you imagine this? I'm gonna bring disaster. Elijah makes it very personal. I got a job to wreck you. That's my job, okay? Because here's what I know about evil. Evil doesn't stop itself and neither do passive men. So you need Elijah's to get between evildoers and their potential victims, okay? We're here on Memorial Day. The bad guys are coming, the victims are waiting, someone gets in the middle to stop evil because it won't stop itself. That's what Elijah is doing. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. Now he's bringing in the family. He's like, your dad's an idiot, your grandpa's demonic, your great grandpa's a son of the devil. Like he's just, now we're going after the family tree. 
And like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel. This actually happens. It's later in the Bible. It's awesome. They, um, <laughs> they show up and she paints her face trying to seduce Jehu. She's surrounded by her eunuchs, the castrated transgender parade and um, you know, probably wearing stuff from Target. And then, <laughs> and so then they throw her out the window and they don't even go get her body. They go out for dinner. Like, man, that's fun throwing out the window. Let's go. It's happy hour. So they go to happy hour and then they go look for the body. And by that point, the wild dogs ate the whole body of Jezebel. The only thing left was the wrist bone and the skull. <laughs> Love that. Everybody's a good person. We're all going to heaven. No, we're not. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. Any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. Ahab's passive, the only time he gets active is when Jezebel incites him. He acted very abominably going after idols. Those are demons. It's demonic power working through people as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, he got triggered. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his flesh, fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. I'm so sad. My life is so hard. Elijah's so mean. God is, God is so cruel. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me because he has humbled himself before me? I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, that's not a blessing. And I will bring disaster upon his house. Let me just summarize all of this. What Ahab and Jezebel worked for was social justice. The government agrees, the church agrees, the worthless men, the witnesses agree, the media agrees. It was just to kill Naboth. God shows up, sovereign justice. You murdered an innocent man who was obeying me. You stole land you didn't need. They broke at least eight of the 10 commandments in one day. They had other gods. They worshiped idols. They took God's name in vain. Oh, we swear to God, we're telling the truth. They murdered a guy. They were guilty of adultery. They stole his land. They bore false witness all because they coveted their neighbor's house. On a Tuesday, they blew through 80% of the 10 commandments. And they're the good people. And the headline celebrates them. Well, Naboth's reputation is forever destroyed. His family is decimated. His wife is a widow. His children are orphans and his legacy is bankruptcy. And he demonstrates what is called in the Bible, worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is I feel bad about what is happening to me. It's not I feel bad about what I've done to God and them. So when God looks at him and says, well, he, he seems sad, I'm gonna give him more time. That was not a blessing. 
Here's what it says in Romans 2. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He doesn't repent. God, you're right, I'm wrong, please forgive me. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Ahab says, I feel bad. God says, I'll give you time and you can repent and I'll forgive you. And if you don't, every day you are storing up wrath for judgment in hell. Every moment that you live is not a blessing if you don't know the Lord. It's storing up wrath and judgment in the presence of the Lord. Let me say this, this is such good news. The world is just filled with liars and crooks and thieves and politicians who are Ahabs and false prophets who don't tell the truth and Jezebels who lie and seduce and spiritualize and even weaponize the word of God. And ultimately the good news is this, we have a better king. We have Jesus Christ as the king of kings. Jesus looks at all of this mess and he comes down and what happens is he's the greater and perfect Naboth. What happens in the days of Jesus, the religious leaders and the political leaders, they come together just like they did against Naboth. And they accuse Jesus wrongly and falsely of the same things they accuse Naboth of. He cursed the king and the Lord. They brought in false witnesses, worthless men to falsely testify. And ultimately Jesus Christ was murdered. But in that moment for you and I who believe in Jesus, who belong to Jesus, there was sovereign justice. On the cross, Jesus took the place of those of us who are Ahabs and Jezebels. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven. Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus endured the wrath of God so we could receive the grace of God. I am telling you that at the cross of Jesus, there was sovereign justice. And I'm telling you this, as Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise from the dead. And our King is going to bring his kingdom, the one kingdom that will never end. There will be resurrection and there will be sovereign justice in hell. The Ahabs and the Jezebels will be judged. They will be sentenced. They will be punished. They're not getting away with anything. They're storing up everything. In addition, you will be rewarded, child of God. Every dollar that has been taken from you will be returned to you. Every lie that has been said about you will be corrected for you. Everything that you have suffered will be rewarded forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This, this world is not our home. Our God rules over this world, but for a little while, Satan rules in this world. When Jesus comes, the kingdom comes. And all we're gonna get, friends, sovereign justice. Satan destroyed, demons defeated, enemies conquered, lies corrected, God's people 
resurrected. Healing, blessing, provision, joy, together forever. All we need, we need a new king. Why don't you stand and worship him and we're gonna celebrate him together. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com slash donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.